This is uh, Craig126. Connor, and we don't need you, Edwin, because we're using the Zoom. We word. need you, Edwin. We always need I meant the clap. Okay. All right, here we go. Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to Secret Movie Club Podcast 126. I feel like we become like brothers. <laughs> We're like a family now of brothers who just got in a big argument about tipping and voting. But then we hugged it out to do this podcast. Today, we are talking about the 1990s trilogy, Gamera, which itself was a reboot of a 1960s Japanese monster series, Gamera. Uh, which is also known as kaiju movies. Uh, we very much have Edwin Gomez to thank for this, which we'll get into. But before we get there, uh, who's with us today? Well, Daniel's coming in late, and I'll just cut him in when he gets here. I'm not going to do the secret thing where I will put his hello at the beginning. But then I'm Carnally Cruz, the people's champion. And here I'll make it up to you, Edwin, for yelling at you right before the podcast started. Here's a little theme for your intro. distorted but that's pretty cool hello america another day not a rainy day not a hard rain here in america i got nothing else but i'm rolling keep flowing homie keep flowing drop flowing. your flow ah. yeah you know, get real sometimes <laughs> pretty nice. dope that was, that was dope connor did make it up to you look at that he just repaid you times four. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. I love, love Godzilla, even though it's not about Gamera, but it's still cool, though. Cool. And I am Craig, the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. As always, uh, you can see everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. You can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. By the time that you hear this podcast tonight, come to the Million Dollar Theater because we're going to be showing my personal favorite John Ford film. Although there's so many and we'll get into that because we're going to do a John Ford pod a little uh, towards the end of the year. But Stagecoach and we've got a 35 millimeter print of it. I cannot talk enough about this movie, but for the intro, I'll be very quick. This was the only movie that Orson Welles watched to prepare for Citizen Kane. And he watched it like 30 times and just had different people come in and explain how John Ford made this. And I as well am, am obsessed with Stagecoach. I think one of the greatest Westerns ever made, one of the most entertaining movies ever made on 35 millimeter. And then if you're a John Ford fanatic, come back to the club because we are showing a deeper cut that I love his adaptation of a bunch of Eugene O'Neill plays, The Long Voyage Home, which he made just after Stagecoach, actually, on 16 millimeter, shot by Greg Tolan, who would go on to shoot Citizen Kane. On Saturday here, actually, at the Secret Movie Club Theater, we are showing Akira Kurosawa's Stray Dog and High and Low. It's funny when you think Kurosawa, people, I think, immediately think samurai movies but like john ford he made movies in every genre and these are two of his noir movies one's a police thriller and the other is a kidnapping mystery and they're both two of the greatest movies he ever did and then next wednesday is our open mic short night for november the theme is passport to noir but by the time that you hear this the deadline will have passed everybody who is going to get into that one will have submitted november 15th but please get a ticket they're 10 bucks and come meet fellow filmmakers and rub elbows and see current shorts uh, and that is what we are doing for this week. So today we are talking about Gamera, 
which is this amazing series that Edwin turned me on to. Most people, if they know kaiju, and a lot of people know kaiju, kaiju is the Japanese word for a specific kind of monster, monster movie. But it's not really how we think of monster movies, because we might say monster movies and you might think Dracula or Frankenstein or Universal Monsters. When you say kaiju, this is one of the biggest genre of movies that inspire movie love of all genres. And it really is very specifically refers to Japanese monsters. They're constantly making these movies, so the mythology changes, but the most famous kaiju is Godzilla. And then Godzilla, kind of like the Marvel Universe, Godzilla's got this whole coterie of like Anguirus and Ghidorah and Mothra and Rodan and uh, Little Zilla and and just like all the... Babingo. (laughs) Just like tons of little monsters in the Godzilla universe. But an auxiliary universe is the Gamera universe. And Gamera is inherently good. He's beloved by children. It was explained to me when we showed the 90s Gamera, which was a reboot of the 60s. So today we're talking about what most people consider. Edwin, tell me if I'm right on this. I think most people consider the 90s Gamera trilogy the superior Gamera movies. Oh, yeah, it is 100% this one bigger budget, better effects. And the kaiju suits are like next level, next level, like kaiju suits. If you look at the Godzilla ones, like they're great. And I'll watch the Gamera one. Like, dude, they like outdid themselves. They like made it extremely better. Legion and Gaios were, it was just a bummer that in Iris, they started doing CGI, but we'll talk about that in a second. I would describe Gamera as a space tortoise. Uh, Actually, no, he lives in the ocean, so he's a turtle. My son and I now have learned this. So he's really, but they never call him a turtle. He just really looks like a turtle, except somehow he can like rocket. He has rocket thrusters and he fights bad dudes and he saves children. He's like a guardian of the universe. In fact, the first Gamera movie from the 90s is called Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. There were a bunch of 60s movies made. I really recommend that people watch a trailer, Godzilla versus Virus from 1968, that looks either that Wes Anderson just watched that movie in his youth and never told us about it, but it looks like every Wes Anderson movie from Royal Tannenbaum's on, the way it was shot, it was uncanny. Nevertheless, or maybe Life Aquatic on. Nevertheless, let's get into it. I'm going to give the honors to Edwin because the only reason we did the Gamera trilogy was because Edwin really was like, you got to do Gamera, you got to do Gamera. And then Edwin sparked something in the universe because then everybody, when we did Kaiju Summer in 2019, which was all devoted to Godzilla, uh, maybe 10 or 20 people who were real Kaiju fans were like, when are you going to do the Gamera trilogy? The 90s Gamera trilogy. Well, we finally did it. So Edwin, take it away. You know, uh, I started off Godzilla. And then next thing you know, a few years later, I discovered Gamera. I watched the original series first. And then I went on to the 90s Gamera, which is like probably the greatest thing I've ever seen in a monster movie. I was watching an episode on YouTube, uh, a guy named uh, Cinemassacre, who does all, all these like top 10 videos and all kind of stuff. And he's a big Godzilla fan, but he immediately talked about Gamera and I got curious. So I just started watching every single one of them. Like, wow, this is actually pretty good. After it gets to like the late seventies, that's when the series died off. And next thing you know, it got brought back, did better numbers than it ever did before. The effects are great. The practical effects are great. The suits are badass. Everything about that is great. The explosions are nonstop excellent. It's probably the greatest kaiju movie ever made. And also, I'm a big fan of part two a lot. But I like the dub one a lot better because that's the one I saw first. And it was so hilarious. Yeah, I was totally confused by that in your pre-show until you explained it to me. Because that was the thing I would have cut 
until you explained to me that that dub, which was borderline offensive to me, until you explained <laughs> to me what was going on. Gamera 2, Attack of Legion, on the DVD, there is a alternate dub version called Gamera, Texarkana, which means all the dub voices are like in Texan, like Hillbilly, like... It's basically what South Park redubbed uh, Gamera, and it's the most funniest scene ever and there are some offensive lines in that movie but oh you'd be surprised what i cut out craig <laughs> well i usually yeah. depend on you again not to play because i hate that i want to be real clear i'm all like i hope i'm all about free speech even if i don't agree with it but there are just certain things where it's like a vibe or a tone but the texarkana thing you put in the pre-show because they play like the song is the political correct police or what was that pc cowboy it was made PC. for the movie okay. for the dub yeah but it was funny i mean i was kind of laughing i didn't know what was going on but i was i was just confused the fact that it was like an official thing that i was like yeah. i was like on a dvd that was like okay this is pretty funny I will say when when I was watching the the sequel, I couldn't help in my head like, damn, I'm so used to that dub one. I couldn't <laughs> see the movie in the same way anymore. That's almost a conversation for another time. But the first way you see a movie, it's so funny to me how often it's not actually the quality, whatever version is better. It's that the first way you saw that movie hit you so hard that that becomes your version. It's like the weird thing with books and movies, too, when you read something and then watch it. It, it was cool to see it again in the, in the original version. But when we got to part three, I forgot how dark it was. And that's the only one in, in the trilogy that I didn't dig the most because one, Gamera just kills a whole bunch of people while trying to kill Gauss. And there's like a scene where they make him look like a vicious, evil monster. Um, It's Daniel. For the audience, this is when Daniel has arrived. He's in shadow like he's hiding his identity. <laughs> so the 90s Gamera trilogy, there are three movies. The first movie is called Gamera Guardian of the Universe, in which Gamera fights a being called Gauss. Gauss is kind of a bird that can multiply and reproduce really quickly, and it grows and it grows and it grows. The tone of the movie is funny but intense. The effects are great. It's pretty amazing. Then Gamera 2 is called Attack of Legion. Totally new creature. Gamera has disappeared. Everyone's like, will Gamera save us again? The first two movies actually have a very heavy environmental theme, whereas the Godzilla movies were all about nuclear war. The Gamera movies are really about what we're doing to the Earth, and they make the point that Gamera is really just trying to protect the Earth. If humans ever turn on the Earth, Gamera might turn on us. But in Attack of Legion, Legion is like this crazy creature that gives off a bunch of little fleas, like little crabs that consume Gamera. But that one is also the one that has the biggest children theme. And you can see that Gamera is really linked to kids. There's actually a girl who's we learned was Steven Seagal's daughter. She's in all three and she has a psychic link to Gamera. And in the second one, Attack of Legion, that's where the themes are really the strongest. Gamera's linked to children, children's linked to Gamera, his protecting of the earth. The last movie, Revenge of Iris, does this weird thing where the filmmakers are like, well, where do we go? And they go to, how would Gamera appear to someone who got killed while Gamera was fighting one of the bad guys? And so there's a girl whose family was killed during one of these fights. And the reason is that her dad, who's a photographer, went back into the apartment building when he shouldn't have after they had evacuated it and he didn't get the mom out in time. So this girl thinks that Gamera is evil. And so for her, she wants to align herself with someone who will fight Gamera. So she's like the dog 
doppelganger of the girl who's linked to Gamera. And now she's linked to this creature called Iris. And then it, it shows, as Edwin said, it's like the other view of Gamera. Because Gamera, kaiju movies, they do wreck a lot of havoc on the city. But Iris is totally dark, sort of jettisons the kid thing and the environmental thing and becomes kind of, I don't even know, like, it's like when James Bond would just be about revenge and license to kill. It's like the dark Gamera. The scene that, that got me the most as when uh, when Gamera is fighting Gauss over uh, Kyoto and Gamera is destroying everything in his path just to kill Gauss and just kill a whole bunch of people. Like, what the hell are you doing, man? And I, and I told you, Craig, I, I told you in the theater, like, it's about to get dark. And it did. Until it kind of redeemed himself by the end um, where he gets the girl out of the iris and then blow the sucker to the hell whatever and then um you do have to like the end though of iris when it freeze frames on camera and it says the ultimate guardian of the universe and that's just the end of the movie and i was like hell yeah <laughs> that was like pretty badass and left on a very weird cliff and we have this swarm of gausses like coming towards japan yeah but gamera's ready homie yeah but he's got his arm cut off he just went and beat the weapon and just cut the sucker up yeah gamera's badass though he's gonna fight him He'd like, that's all he does. Gamera's the ultimate saint of kaiju. Didn't they make a fourth one, technically? They did. They did. Gamera uh, the Brave. It's not by the same filmmaker. It's by a different guy. And they make Gamera look like a baby in some weird way. Um, Wait, he's in a diaper or what? How do they make him look like a baby? They, they make him not like how, how he is in the trilogy. They make him look weird. Oh, I don't do know. they take away his saber tooth jaw? Just like little peaks. Just like little, little, little peaks. No, Gamma the Brave, it's okay, but it's not like the trilogy though. Because if they went back how they started with the with the same guy and everything, I think it would have been a great movie, but they didn't. So, you know. And he fights some weird little monster. He's so cute in Gamma the Brave. He looks like a little Looks like he needs a little hug. My entire association of Gamera is based on my childhood love of mystery science theater. So I've never rewatched. I've never watched these outside of that context. And I never seen the '90s trilogy. I watched the first one at 7 a.m. this morning. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It ruled. Like I was like, I was genuinely surprised. I thought I would like it. I love me some kaiju stuff. Um, but because I so heavily associate the initial five movies, there were five on Mystery Science Theater, I'm pretty sure. The 60s There's ones. probably more. I think there's like eight or something before. But Mystery Science Theater had a bunch because when I was looking, when I was doing some research, I was surprised by how many I had seen, but all in the context of uh, Mystery Science Theater. But this one was, I thought was great. There are eight in the original series. What is that? era called um showa and four in this new heisei which i learned i think we've talked about this before but i learned it actually refers to who was emperor at the time because it's the same with like the godzilla <laughs> like the godzilla releases just the different eras that would be like calling any movie out of britain elizabethan <laughs> oh my, can you imagine if we called like oh die hard came out during the george w bush senior era we should start doing that we could make that our bid on the podcast could be we label movie eras by the president. So like, wow, I loved Avengers Endgame. I love Marvel and the Trump era. <laughs> but that would be nuts. Because then think about you'd call Last Picture Show a Nixonian era picture. It would probably help people retain knowledge of history by an associate if you like labeled it that way. I think in America, we do it less based on the person and more based on a sort of signifier of the era, either a decade or like post 9-11 Vietnam War, things like that. Well, there's weird stuff. There's like the Reagan era. I was about to say, I think Reagan is the only president in our life 
life. Although people would talk about Eisenhower science fiction films and stuff, but people would talk about Reagan-esque, the Reagan-era action movies. Yeah, like Rambo First Blood Part Two. But Daniel, I'm sorry, keep going. Any Gamera thoughts? I'm sorry. I thought it was dope. I was a little delirious and maybe that was the best, <laughs> but it's that perfect marriage um, where most everything is practical with a little bit of computer help. And some of the shots that are miniatures of like Gamera falling out of the sky and plumbing into like a miniature, you know, missile silo that blows up looks so good. And I'm obsessed with some of the framing between the miniatures because they look, especially I was watching the the newer uh, restorations. So it's just this crystal clear, beautiful miniature work as the camera pans through and, and they're fighting. And the creature design was great. You know, there's there's the running themes through kaiju movies and they obviously deviate as they get heavy into the series. But the reboot stuff for both Gamera and Godzilla are really fascinating to sort of reapproach like the worldview of the country at the time that they're making it, or it's still conscious, like this is conscious of like, okay, this is a plutonium incident. The ship hit it, Gamera exists because of this. And then the, you know, obviously trails more into the backstory, but he he's exists the way he does because of his exposure to these dangerous chemicals and the environment. The origin in this reminded me kind of of what you're saying about Lovecraft last week in the Mouth of Madness, where it's like this idea of these ancient civilizations who we don't really know about, and we dealing with the repercussions, these monsters uh, that are appearing now. I thought all of these guys were adorable. I would like to give every single monster in this movie a big hug. <laughs> Even Gauss? Even Gauss. I love the little Gauss, the way they move their heads around, they're like... It's like so obviously like like a hand. But it makes it kind of eerie. There's something weird. Oh, it's great. I love it. Because if, if you can like suspend the disbelief of the puppetry, if a creature moved like that, it'd be very alarming. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's googly eyes were kind of funny too when it was chomping on meat and then it was like, oh yeah, it was, it was, it was so cute. It was just like eating little pieces of meat. They're great. I think I, I think multiple times I just said out loud, I love these little guys. Um, <laughs> I'm just sitting here by myself. I'd never seen a, a Gamera movie. My exposure to kaiju stuff is pretty low it seems like from what i can tell the original gamera series i could be wrong correct me edwin was kind of a low budget like godzilla riff oh no they they're they're 100 are but then the 90s ones feel like they're trying to actually do something more genuine yeah with it and take it a little more uh a little more seriously. Funny enough, the same guy um, went on to do a Godzilla movie, and we showed it in 2019. I know. It's supposed to be one of the best ones, right? Yeah, exactly. This was in the Heisei era or beyond the Heisei era. It was actually in the 2000s, and it has the names of the monsters. Is it called All Out Monsters Attack? Or known as GMK. Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah. The director did the three uh, Gammas in the 90s. And they were like, we need some of that in the Godzilla. That's like something to talk about. Literally, the Godzilla series was like, oh, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> we need the Gamera guy. Well, it's interesting because we have those types of dynamics in America and Western stuff. So it's kind of funny when you're like seeing, especially as somebody who isn't as quite as knowledgeable about foreign film, when you look at stuff like that and you're like, oh, this is clearly they just also did that thing that we do, which is that somebody's doing something good. It's like um, they poached the director, J.J. Abrams and Star Trek and Star Wars and stuff and it also kind of reminded i was watching it and especially the early parts of this one did make me think of like i wonder if the guys who made shin godzilla were influenced by these 
I, I would imagine so. You know, it's funny you say that because actually just to piggyback is clearly these Gamera movies, they poach the filmmakers from them for the 21st century because the special effects director of the Gamera movies was the co-director of Shin Godzilla. Oh, okay. that makes sense. No wonder it's dead. I haven't watched uh, two and three yet, but I plan to because I really love the first one. Two's the bomb. Edwin was right. Two's the Empire Strikes Back of the three. I was reading some stuff trying to not spoil things, but there's an uptick that people think that it gets better which is super cool. But I also just love that because it's the same director that every single, it seems to be the case that every single one is trying something very different. So they feel cohesive because of the creative team behind them, but also feel like three separate attempts to try and make something really interesting that is still connected, where it doesn't feel like more of the same. I think that's such a cool thing, especially because you have this freedom, especially when Kaiji stuff, because it gets, it can go bonkers and you're in for the ride. And so it allows that to a degree. It's funny. Edwin and I, in a rare instance, are in total agreement. I think, Edwin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say two is the best, then one, and then three is how I would rank it. Yeah, no, that, that's how it should be. Almost like the way that people rank the, the original Star Wars trilogy. I love them all, but the second one, Attack of Legion, was the one. I know a movie's really affecting me because I start taking notes. I started taking kaiju notes because I was like, well, if I ever do a kaiju movie and I'm like, oh, man two is making me take kaiju notes because there were some things that hit me that were really funny on first it's great when you cross cut so it's always great to have a number of different planes of action and in two it's like the government's trying to do something and then you catch up with the girl from the first one and here's where she's at and then you've got the older scientists and they're trying to figure it out and then dot 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 and that's great and you've got all the little title crawls then there were moments of pure visual beauty in the second one that were poetic like gamera descends from the sky with those flares when they send those flares up and then Gamera just comes out of the sky I was like holy moly that's poetry and then they echo it later in the movie where the kids are waiting for Gamera to wake up and the sparks from the trash can on fire are like sort of going around him before he wakes up in the snow. I was like, this is beautiful. And then they end too with this kid song where the kids are singing a chorus and I got really teary. I was like, yeah, Gamera, he fights for all of us. <laughs> I was like, I was really moved. The friend of children everywhere. Yeah. As, mu as much as I, as much as I loved him, when I thought they did well, it was alarming internally to me. The first time he took flight, really threw me off. Oh, totally. You're like, oh, he can do that as well. <laughs> when he just yeah. a smoke screen. It was funny because it's different every time. Like, there's the smoke screen part in front of the dome the first time where he like spins and becomes a UFO. Dope. I was confused. I'm glad he's on our side. Yeah. But then, but then the second time, like jet boosters just pop out of nowhere and he goes flying like Iron Man. Also very into it. He just knocked down a cityscape like a bowling ball if he wanted to. Just like spin and thrust. Oh, that was the other thing in two, how initially his power is to blow fireballs out his mouth. But then when he's got to take Legion in two and he summons up the like chi of the world and then it comes out of his heart. I was like, whoa. Question. Did anyone else feel that the filmmakers of Cloverfield just straight up lifted stuff from the Gamma trilogy, especially two? Uh, I'm going to say no. What? Those little you. crab things in Cloverfield seem straight out of Legion. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can see that, but, you know. I know that this first one, the bad guy Gauss, is taken from the third movie in the original series, but it, it looks like the other characters are original, like Legion and Iris. Those two monsters are completely original. The only one that's from the original series uh, is Gauss, because that's basically like the true uh, nemesis to uh, to Gamera. Yeah, I know that's the one we put clips from the Mystery Science Theater 3000, and it was specifically that one. It's interesting you guys talk about that, because Gauss shows up in the third. 
So it's it's sort of like clearly Gauss means something because Gauss is there in number one and then He's Gauss Gamera's comes back. Joker. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah, Gamera, much like another fictional turtle, Raphael, he's cool but rude. Um, <laughs> and I, I loved him. I, they did actually, I don't know if I had like subtitles weird. They do actually refer to him as a turtle in, in the version I watched. So Yeah, the, so people gave us bad trivia. What I did for our screening was I had people in the audience do trivia because I thought it was ridiculous for me when I was like talking to a whole room full of Gamera fans. But someone was like, I think in the manga, in the manga, maybe turtles and tortoises don't exist in their universe. But yeah, I noticed that too. In one of the movies, they talk about turtles. So in the first one, they, they refer to Gamera and Gauss as like a giant turtle and a giant bird, which giant bird feels a little off. <laughs> the turtle makes sense. But I did like too when that woman stuck her hand in the bird poop. <laughs> and then like pulled out a pen it, t- it took me a second i was like oh that's a the goop of a of a human fun fact about Ga- gauss for the person uh, in the super gas that's actually a female in all of the kaiju movies that particular movie is the first ever kaiju movie to have a female in a kaiju suit let women destroy cities too <laughs> and then i think that same person would later do uh the godzilla movie gmk and she plays baragon so Baragon is played by a female as well, which is pretty cool. Any final words on the Gamera 90s trilogy? Fucking awesome, man. Best thing in the ever. It's rare that you hear a bunch of people talk about something and you're in complete agreement. It's either overhyped or underhyped or you feel a little, you know, different about it. Everyone was like, Gamera 90s is awesome. And all I can say is what Edwin said, which is it is. <laughs> you should see it. I had weird expectations because people were really hyped about this online when we announced this. And I was like more curious than like excited about it because my, again, my all my knowledge of it is based on Mystery Science Theater. So I was very taken by it and I'm pumped to continue. It rules. But and like you're saying, I think it's weird because it's, it's both dope, but also like beautiful sometimes. There's a lot of like incredible imagery. I was very like aware of the technical masterwork at play with these in all capacities because the puppet, I think, you know, we make fun of the puppet thing and it's not used anymore or like the rubber suit type of idea. But a lot of it works here. Like it's gross looking and looks. I might almost say that the Gamma 90s trilogy is to Kaiju what John Carpenter's The Thing was to practical creature effects. It may be the height, the pinnacle of that kind of special effects work. I would agree with that. I always have wondered why British actors come out better when they do bad movies than American actors. My theory is that I think it's because they have a professionalism where they're like, well, I've been paid. I'm going to believe in this 100%. And this is why I'm here, which is why like Michael Fassbender can do an amazing Magneto or whatever. And sometimes you'll see an American actor in a superhero movie and they seem vaguely embarrassed. Or, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't even do him because he couldn't take him seriously. But when you see a British actor, Patrick Stewart or Fassbender, they're like given their all or Ian McKellen. And I think that the thing about the Gamera 90s too is that those filmmakers are not winking at all. They're just like, this guy's a turtle. He's a guardian of the planet he loves children he's and i'm like i'm all in i'm all in on this rocket turtle yeah i like i i, I miss that sincerity i think is what works there's no jokes about like is that a giant turtle flying a bird <laughs> it's just all like oh my god like what is happening this is horrifying and it's completely sincere and it's it's a lot of fun i'm imagining like the 2022 version and they're like um are you guys seeing what i'm seeing <laughs> right. like some teenager that's seen a giant turtle it breaks me to my core. I kind of want to bro with Gamera, too. 
can't believe we've not done a kaiju podcast. I feel like we must have talked about kaiju, haven't we, Connor? Have we not talked Godzilla? We did a monster movies podcast, I think. I like that we're at the point where we're like, did we do that? I do usually (laughs) check, and I'm usually pretty good about it, and I don't think I can always check again. We have no kaiju episode. We did we did talk episode twenty six, the monster movie, Jaws, Godzilla, and the host. So we kinda talked about it then. But that was monster movie writ large. Now that we you know, Secret Movie Club, we learn all the time that there are certain genres that within the movie community drive people nuts in a good way. I mean, I'm sure they drive them nuts in a bad way, too. But they're not necessarily genres that people in the outside world would even be aware of. And I would name check Giallo, anime, and kaiju. Pretty awesome, man. To see two guys in big monster suits, miniature buildings being destroyed and stuff being blown up right next to them. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty far out stuff, man. You love kaiju and it really moves you. I mean, you probably just said it, but why do you think you you just fell in love with it? Mainly because it's all about the practical effects, the guys in the suits, the, the way it's said and the score. For instance, the director, Ishiro Honda, who's basically Kurosawa's uh, second, like, Guy. Assistant, yeah, was his assistant director. But he he's basically the Kurosawa of monster movies. He made everything from Terror to uh, Terror God, uh, Megagodzilla. That was the last kaiju movie he's ever done, and it did not do well in the box office for a reason I do not know, because that's the best Godzilla movie in the in the show of series. All of them are just great. Some of them could be bad. Some of them could be like, wow, this is actually really good. Now, like, like for the first Godzilla, it was like, you know, something that's never been done before because Ashira Honda took inspiration from uh, Ray Harryhausen, uh, Beast from 29 Phantoms, and said, you know what? I'm going to do a different way. I'm, I'm going to do a guy in a suit, and it works. From there on, it just kept getting better and better and better until it, it, it went down when it hit the 70s. I think the one where it got a little weird is when they did Godzilla vs. Hedra. My favorite one. Yeah, I see why. I see why you hippie dude they got animation in there yeah, i know they've got a go-go dancing they got a scene where godzilla takes two eyeballs and crushes them in his hands and then like does a wrestler move where he's like done yeah i i mean I, you can say that's where the series took a very weird turn <laughs> it sounds like what batman did in like the 50s and and 60s where they would introduce like Batmite and things like that who's like a tiny cartoon Batman. Have you never seen Godzilla versus Hedera? No. Dude, it's Godzilla directed by David Lynch. It basically is. That's all you need to know. Besides Godzilla, there's one kaiju movie that I really really love and it's, and it's by the same guy. It's called Frankenstein Conquers the World here in the States. But in Japan, it's called Frankenstein versus Baragon. And that's like one of my favorite kaiju movies of all time. I love that movie. In doing research, George Lucas for Return of the Jedi, what's the creature in the pit that Luke has to fight? Sarlacc. They shot that whole sequence kaiju style because George Lucas was wanted to do it kaiju style and then it just didn't work. And so they redid it as a sort of stop motion. I would just love to see the dailies of the kaiju Sarlacc. That's the thing. They did a foreign that's already perfected, but to someone else to take that on it could be difficult the the one person that did take the form and did do it right and you're know i'm gonna say craig you're know i'm gonna say martin scorsese no 1976 jeff bridges uh, charles Grodin, jessica lane king Kong, 1976 boom in your face holmes uh right oh, we're back to squabbling brothers i like the big kaiju that's behind daniel right now oh, yeah, that yeah. was my intention is another genre that i have really liked what i've seen and have seen Little, I think I will also catch up on these. Uh, I'm make a joke about. I saw a giant monster. It was the uh, the vote, v- the politics, its government, and the voting booth. 
because it's we're recording this on election day so there's that little joke i think shin godzilla is my favorite out of them i've seen i just like how uh stripped down and tactile and how like technical that movie is the only other ones i feel like i have any real familiarity with is i've seen both pacific rim movies fun fact we stay to the end credits he pays tribute to ashira honda and ray harryhausen makes sense and uh what do you think about those edwin guillermo del toro did the first pacific rim which was sort of mecca versus kaiju like robots versus kaiju monsters you know i like it but you know it just doesn't feel the same for me is it cgi yeah it's too much cgi but i prefer the guy in the suit because i feel more realistic but he watched a cgi movie he's like eh, okay that's like whatever i guess but they're fun they're really fun don't get me wrong he does pay a lot of tribute to the original series to any other kaiju movie i would counter that with in the realm of cgi stuff i think Del Toro has done it the best in terms of making it feel substantial. I think it's the way he shoots it. There's like a technique that's maybe has a proper name, but I've always referred to it as video game camera. And it's it's a camera technique used in a lot of CGI moments that just isn't possible physically. Like Man of Steel, when they fight and it has these weird, the camera's flying through the buildings at the same speed as the people and it circles around them and it spins and it just makes you feel, Matrix Revolutions did this too. And it kind of takes you out of it. And Del Toro frames everything for scale as if it were a real camera. Like there's an incredible shot of like one of the mechs coming out of the ocean and it steps and the camera like pans up really slowly and all the water's dripping off of it. And it feels substantial. And I feel like he's the only one that's gotten the scale and the like physicality right. And also there's like a part where someone picks up a ship and hits a kaiju with it. Like it's dope. Mm. I like the first Pacific Rim a lot. I actually think it kind of nails it. I was going to say, I recently saw a clip that I had forgotten about. I believe it's from Son of Godzilla. It's the little scary creature being birthed or having just been born. And he's just getting bullied by like these two other creatures for like 30 seconds. He's just like getting the crap kicked out of him. And it's like this crazy moment of what the heck's happening. But my my new one, and I, I'm on Letterboxd looking and I are resident Shaw Bros aficionado has not seen it. The Mighty Peking Man. Hey, 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 Daniel, guess what? I have seen it, bro. Oh, it's just, just on your letterbox, it. so that means you haven't I, seen I, it. That one's fun. It was during a time where I didn't have letterbox, you schmuck. It was dope. You want to know why? Because they saw King Kong 76 and said, you know what? Let's do this one. So let's make a good movie. Okay, and they made The Mighty Peking Man. <laughs> Daniel, before you came on, I was talking about how now I feel like we're four brothers somehow. <laughs> yeah, just... We like all love each other, but we all give each other, yeah. Yeah, we're just looking for chances to fight. Yeah, but Daniel, do you have do you have the Rolling Thunder DVD? I do. Do you have the Rolling Thunder DVD? What is that? Yeah, like? you oh, I, you mean Rolling Thunder because Tarantino put it out. Exactly. Boom. I, I have the Blu-ray. And I get the VHS. I get the VHS. I'm not going to watch a VHS. <laughs> Edwin, Edwin has is the baby brother oh he's always <laughs> totally the youngest brother there's there's no doubt about that at least for me kaiju feels adjacent to horror and that especially as a kid a kaiju movie is like the quintessential my young brain if i had the power to make a movie when i was a kid would be kaiju it's toys colliding a ton of collateral damage except your adult storyteller brain then adds sort of an interesting layer of characterization or political elements to give it something to kind of hold on to. But even when I watch them now, I still feel like a kid of making toys collide. And I think that's like the the magical thing in kaiju movies is like you set two things that are taller than skyscrapers to fight in a city and everything gets destroyed. And of course you want, you're like, oh, I hope everyone's okay, but you also want massive destruction. It's just sort of in our nature, maybe. That's the thing that they, when they nail that right, I'm pretty forgiving of anything else in the movie. I feel like there used to be a thing. I don't think it's a thing anymore or whatever you wanted to imply that somebody was having like a really lazy, lazy day, they'd be watching 
like a Godzilla movie on TV <laughs> or a kaiju. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like this is, I think I feel like it's like a '90s thing Trope. or something. Yeah, I didn't really have cable growing up, but I feel like I saw a ton of Godzilla on TV, and I'm wondering what was screening it. Probably like a cheap licensing thing or something. They were originally shown on a on TNT, but I don't think they're on anymore. But that's where they show all the Godzilla movies. I didn't have like expanded cable growing up, so I'm not really sure. Like I, I wouldn't have had that channel. So I'm, I have I'll have to do some research. They usually pop up in the sci-fi channel as well. Sometimes I didn't have your fancy channels. Well, guess what? I had a I had grandparents. That had cable so that's why i watched the movies so boom these kaiju movies are violent my grandparents would have been like <gasps> pop culture final thoughts yeah, i'm going first uh, i had a hell of a night last night i saw a great motion picture on on an archival 35 minute print restrike from 2008 i'm talking about truck turner man it's a great movie it ruled it was a fun movie and i got my vinyl soundtrack signed by john de kaplan and i told him i saw when i was 15 years old blew me away Nah, I'm just excited for my birthday screening. Uh, I'm going to watch the Famins today, and I'm very happy about that. So, boom, that's it. I'm jealous, man. That may be the only, mo- the only movie I'm, I'm going to go see in a theater just because of how crazy. I got to see the Fablemans. That's the like, through line of cinematic DNA for me. I have to I have to do it. Usually around this time of year when all the big releases come out that all the film, the Kino fans in the room like, I usually try to keep up with a lot of them, and I usually find it an unrewarding experience. You know, it, it, it goes either way. Yeah, weren't you the only one last year who saw all 10 Best Picture nominees or eight or however many there were? Well, Daniel almost certainly did also okay. daniel's even more into that but I, i'm gonna definitely make that deal with the witch who lives in my neighborhood again this year and be forced to watch she's rude all of them which, which is kind which is kind of why i'm personally not looking forward to watching tar and so i'm like in my head i'm like i'm gonna wait for it to get nominated for best picture and then i'll watch it oh that's interesting why are you not looking just because it's going to be such an unremittent bummer it just looks long it looks kind of boring <laughs> and it looks like it's kind of like a middle-aged white man making a cancel culture movie and i'm not really interested in that i will say you're wrong in a great way about that in a really interesting okay. way there is an awareness to what it's about because i thought the same thing when i was going to see it i was like like and you come back after 16 years to make a cancel culture movie like that's not going to be fun but I, I think it's dope and for context i saw decision to leave and i, I liked it but I, it left me a little cold but I also saw Banshees of Inisherin, and I loved Banshees of Inisherin. I was a little dubious going in because I've been kind of half and half on Madonna's films. I really like Bruges, really didn't like Three Billboards, but this might be my favorite thing he's done. Uh, really beautiful. Do you think Oscar nomination for Colin Farrell's eyebrows? Because they're putting in some work in that film. Honestly, I think like all four of those leads I could see getting nominations potentially. The sister was amazing. Just really great stuff about getting old and about friendships and about especially as an artistic person like the drive to like what do you leave behind being a nice person versus being remembered really funny and i would highly recommend it i'd love to see because i'm i'm a texan like you always craig you're like i'm i'm irish i'm russian and i'm like listen i'm texan i know i have all that stuff but i'm not like connected to it but you you are so i'd be interested to see what you think about the movie because it's it is very like steeped in you know irish uh customs and folklore and history the movies you've already name checked i want to see banshees and i want to see tar so god willing i'll you know maybe in the new year when we do our academy award thing or whatever i'll catch up and we'll talk about them and then you can find me at twitch.tv slash connor cruz 
Why should we play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash nerdhalla? My pop culture thing is I went to go see Nope again uh, at the 70 millimeter premiere with um, a big Q&A. I'm a mixed bag Q&A type of guy. Like I, I sometimes find audience Q&As to be like some of the most excruciating moments of my life. <laughs> but I've realized the trick is you need a great moderator. And that moderator, respectfully, that moderator should typically, I think, not be an actor or comedian. Hard agree. This one was hosted by um, Jim Hemphill. Like a, he's a film writer, film critic. And I think other filmmakers often, there's just a way that the conversation flows. And especially like this panel was a ton of the technical crew. So it was like Hoyt Van Hoytema and Ian Cooper, the producer and like the sound mixer and the VFX supervisor. And so it's one of those things where it could very easily have become kind of the Jordan Peele show, but Jordan Peele actually is very good at making sure that every question became a question to funnel into his crew. And so it was a really interesting Q and a about the difficulties and like Jordan refused to make it ever be like, this is my thing. He'd be like, well, that happens because this happens. And I think that's such a valuable thing when you have filmmaking Q and A's, especially if there's like young filmmakers in the audience. So it's very dope. And I was just like salivating at the stuff. They talked a lot about how the day for night in Nope is shot using a combination of 65 millimeter film and infrared digital that they would combine. Their, their goal was to create the look of night the way that we see it outside, which is there's a lot of detail in things. It's just dim. And it's impossible to capture natively on camera. So it's just, there's a suspension of disbelief to nighttime cinematography that can be used very effectively. And they wanted to find a way that let them have, because they needed to control the sky and the way it looks at night for the story to work. And so hearing the process of them testing, figuring out the way to make that work and just how, how much of a technical feat it was to combine that across analog and digital mediums as a happy camper. And I will say that I finally got to see Licorice Pizza. Anybody who listens to these podcasts, if they don't know already, I'm on dad time now. I'm living in dad time. So I'm talking about movies that everyone saw a year ago. And I'm like, hey, I finally got to catch up with Licorice Pizza. And I know it's old hat for most people. I have to say, I was really charmed by it. I do have to say that I think Bradley Cooper's that part, like, because the design was really interesting that you had all these relatively unknown young people who dominate the movie. And then you'd have these stars suddenly pop in. You'd be like, Sean Penn is William Holden or, you know, Bradley Cooper is John Peters. And I thought that Bradley Cooper and the whole like truck sequence and the I thought that was one of the standouts of the movie. I thought that was hilarious. And I can't get out of my head the whole thing Bradley Cooper does where he's like, I'm going to choke your brother out. And he's just like talking to the kids like they're adults. And he's like, look, like, I just I love tail. And then he's like talking about Barbara Streisand. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, she's my girlfriend. It gets kind of boring. But and Barbara Streisand's still with us. So and John Peters is still with us. So I was very curious how they received that. ETA talked to John Peters to get permission to use this sort of dialogue. The only thing he added to the script for PTA was to add where, where he's smashing the windows and you see these two girls walking by like, like Peter Butter. That that's actually that's <laughs> John Peters to me. Yeah, I know. He was like, "Do you have a good relationship with your dad?" <laughs> <laughs> and actually, another one of the moments that really, really moved me was when she walks Joseph Cross home because clearly he's Joel Walks' boyfriend and Joel Walks is a politician. And then they both sort of commiserate about men outside of the. I was like really moved by that. So. You know, I also feel that because I've talked to some people who have been like, well, I didn't like the movie because they never really address that it's a 15 year old boy 
having a romantic relationship, potentially, although it's a very chaste movie. I mean, it just there's sort of romantic tension between them with a 25 year old woman. And I thought, no, I, I actually think they address it throughout the entire film. And what's interesting to me that I thought about and I'll leave it off here is. I almost wondered, you guys were talking about Tar, Connor, you were almost saying a moment ago, you don't want to see Tar because you think it's like a middle-aged guy making a movie about cancel culture. And I almost wondered if Licorice Pizza was PTA's middle-aged guy making a movie about a different era where everybody just reacted and behaved differently. Because, you know, in another scene, she goes out with William Holden, who is played by Sean Penn, who's 30 years her senior. And that's not to say that that is good or bad. I I don't want to be misunderstood here. But it was interesting to watch a movie from a different time. And it, it did make me think about, like, when I was in the 90s, this is a conversation for another time, all of us in high school knew kids in our grade who were having affairs with teachers, both male and female. Wow. Yeah, totally different time. And all of us were like, none of us said anything because we were like, well, you know, I don't know what to do here. Like uh, they're they're doing it. And we all felt it was a little weird for sure. And there was actually a bit of a double standard. If it was a guy with a female teacher, we were like, how is he pulling that off? And if it was a a woman with a male teacher, we're all like, that's a little skeezy on the part of the male teacher. So it's just interesting to think about different eras. So it got me thinking about that, too. But Craig. Do you think the movie was going to turn to Nashville when that guy showed up in front of that? Uh... Oh, dude. Well, the whole movie is also a crypto. I mean, I didn't want to get into it, but I also have a bit of an issue with the movie because it's also about nepotism. <laughs> in a way that drives me crazy. Like everybody in the movie was a son of or a daughter of. They came from movie celebrity. The movie's dedicated to Robert Downey Sr. A Spielberg is in the movie. If you watch the movie, it's just like, this is also an ode to being in the industry. And look, and you know what? You can't find fault with everybody who happens to be born in the movie industry. It's not their fault. But as an outsider who's tried to break into movies for a long, long time, I just have like class thing. I guess what working class British people must have against rich British people. I'm always like, you know, I fought my whole life to get into the movie industry and I just didn't have anybody who could break me into it in that way. And it is a little frustrating sometimes to watch a movie where everybody you're like, oh, they're here because of this and that and the other thing. But it is what it is. But oh, no, yeah, Edwin, great call. Totally. That guy you thought was going to pay off in some way, and he was a total red herring. Although I was hearing, because you see it in the trailer, too. I guess Paul Thomas Anderson shoots a ton of stuff that never makes it in the movie. No, he does that all the time. He shows clips in the trailer that are not in the movie. He does that in every single movie he does. It's very weird. Yeah, I was waiting for the moment where uh, Bradley Cooper was going to break those windows at the car lot. And they show it in the cast call, but it's never in the film. And I was like, what was that saying? The actors were talking about it, too, in in, in kind of a veiled way. They were saying that they were the most nervous shooting the high school scene because they knew that had to be in the movie because that's how they met. And Paul Thomas Anderson was talking about how that day was rough for all of them because he didn't know how to shoot it. Cooper Hoffman was really nervous because he didn't know how to play it. And Alana Haim was really nervous because she didn't know how to play it. And they had to throw out the whole first day because they all knew that scene had to be in the movie. And that was interesting to me because it implies that there were other scenes they were looser on because they were like, ah, maybe it makes it, maybe it doesn't. But anyway. All right, guys, that was a great conversation. As always, I love my brothers. I love you, my film brothers. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) You are just like my youngest brother, by the way. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's got to be a real special moment to have him say, I love you. Otherwise, his way of saying I love you is when he insults you, which is what you do, too. And I love my brother with all my heart. I was talking to my brother the other day. We're going to be together for Thanksgiving. He's the godfather of my youngest daughter. And I love you, Dieter, with all my heart. 
All right. Anyway, guys, it's wonderful. Our next podcast, uh, Secret Movie Club Podcast 127, will actually be our nominations for Thanksgiving movies that are not planes, trains, and automobiles. This was a category recommended by Connor, as these podcasts often are. And I was like, that is great. And hopefully we all did some digging and research. And we're not just going to say like, I did not. Oh, I Googled home for the holidays. <laughs> I guess that was a movie that Jodie Foster directed with. I'm pulling that now. I'm pre-calling that. No home for that. You can call out home for the holidays. It's a fun movie. Mine come from my heart. I hope everyone did the research. I did. I'm proud of mine. I, I didn't. What? You're telling me you didn't do I know, the homework? You didn't get up at 7 a.m. like Daniel did to get ready for the podcast, even though he works a full-time job? No, because I'm, I'm I'm not a Daniel. Okay, I don't wake I don't wake up at seven to do Daniel things. I'm me. All right. He's the Raphael here. He's cool but rude. Got it. Yeah. Word. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's Secret Movie Club Podcast 127. As always, look at everything we're doing on SecretMovieClub.com. Write us a community at SecretMovieClub.com. Join us tonight at the Million Dollar for Stagecoach. I can't wait. I am obsessed with that film. I think any filmmaker should watch Stagecoach. And then we got a whole bunch of great stuff coming up. As always, this episode was edited by our chief uh, creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. And that's it. I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Bye. Love you, family. What time do you have to leave, dude? Okay. Time. Do you know time? Yeah, depending on what time Craig is going to talk for, and then and then we start. So are you? So is the translation that you just want to get in line as early as possible? Yes. Okay. Well, then couldn't you? When does the Fablemans play tonight? Seven. Okay. okay. So you, no, you, you're not. You're not leaving yeah. early. You can leave at twelve forty-five. Okay. All right. That seems that seems reasonable. I think. <laughs> Does it does it strike you that it might be unreasonable that you get in the line like six hours in advance? I need to be the best. All right. I need to be the best. But Edwin, you are the best.